Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer before we get started. This morning, Lord, is, uh, is a wonderful day. You have created it for your glory. And uh, that is our prayer as we look into your word, as we take what's been written thousands of years ago and, and rework it through our minds, looking at it and reading it and studying it and, and wanting to apply it to our lives. Uh, what a joy to know that you had us in mind even back then, that uh, you would give us wisdom through your word. And because of that, we are able to glorify you. And, and uh, may that be the process that we go through. And uh, may each person leave this room with uh, one more little thought of you on how to worship you better. In your name, amen. Well, continuing on our series of, <clears throat> of practicing Proverbs, I have the pleasure this morning of covering how the Proverbs bring family wisdom, family wisdom. Mark originally was going to cover this uh, chapter in our rotation, uh, but by the providence of God, uh, I really wanted to teach it, and uh, he worked out, had favor on me, and and, uh, I had the opportunity to teach this, so you get to hear from me. I don't know uh, if you know it, but we actually trade these lessons like baseball cards, you know, hey, I'll, I'll trade, you, uh, trade you one uh, Sunday school class in Acts for, for two on Proverbs. We, we trade them around a lot, and you don't know those things behind the scenes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, some of them, though, are, are kind of like, the, the, uh, like a forgery card in, in Masterpiece. You ever play that game, Masterpiece? You trade stuff, and you get this forgery card. It's like the one that nobody wants. Yeah, we, we get those sometimes. We give them to Steve. Well, for decades, Kathy and I uh, have been teaching parenting classes, and from the beginning, we've been urging young parents, young and old, to live in the Proverbs. The Proverbs have so much to say about just daily life that uh, that's where we need to be. There's, there's ap- applicational truth and wisdom here, and you'd be a fool to let this book sit on the shelf and, and not use it. It's 31 chapters, easily fit into the 31 days of the month, kind of as an easy reminder of, of a place to pick up where you left off, to something to read. Oh, today is the 10th of the month, I'll read Proverbs 10. So that's kind of a nice to have it that way. But it's short enough where if you have a specific subject in mind, you can look through the Proverbs and find everything related to that subject, and it'll give you a lot of wisdom on those subjects. I know many of you in here are well past the age of parenting, um, but you still interact with kids on a regular basis. Uh, My goodness, during the the break hour, these little rugrats crawling all between our legs. There's so many of them around here. As a church family, if we are on a similar page as far as our biblical expectations of children in this church, we could have a major impact on this city if if our children are turning heads because they want to glorify Jesus Christ. One of my former parenting instructors used the analogy of a, uh, of a child's mind being like a giant warehouse, like Costco or Lowe's or Walmart. Have you ever been in a warehouse like that before they put the goods in it? So they build this giant building, and they put up all these shelves, and they're really tall and really long, and there's nothing in them. They're racks ready to be, be filled with goods. Well, uh, it's quite amazing if you ever see one of these because it... it It says there's so much opportunity here, but it still has to be filled. Picture a child's mind kind of like this warehouse when they're born. Analogy doesn't work perfectly because when they're born, they do have sin. Uh, That's their natural bent to do evil. But think of all these empty rows and empty racks waiting to have thoughts put on them or biblical moral principles. 
And for a child, it's the parent's responsibility to teach that child the morals of life, the do's and don'ts, the rights and wrongs of life. For Christian parents, it's the responsibility even more important to teach biblical principles and to expose them to the word of God and the commandments that are within it. And each of these lessons is like a little package put on the shelf of this warehouse. When you teach them a lesson, you you teach them some biblical principle. It's like putting a, a package there on this warehouse, so now it's not empty. It now has something in it. In Psalm 119.11, the psalmist says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So teaching God's word to your children, explaining it to them, should be viewed as an intentional process of building moral database for them that will be put into their minds. You, You need to put these things into their minds, and Scripture is designed to do that. It's not only the parents who can do this. It's also grandparents, teachers, Sunday school teachers, friends, etc., etc. Many people can input into children's minds through different teachings. When we're with children, whether we recognize it or not, we are placing values into the shelves of the warehouse of their minds. We're putting things on those shelves. Sometimes we don't recognize that. Well, this morning I want to start by reviewing through the Proverbs, looking at the effects that happen when we teach or interact with our children. I want you, want you to view these as five aisles within this warehouse. I'm going to give you five different uh, things here that we're going to be looking at within the minds of your child's warehouse or five different levels of respect, different ways to look at respect that we want to teach our kids through the Proverbs. In the same way that Lowe's would have an aisle for plumbing and electrical and, and paint and carpet, flooring and, and appliances and things like that, we're going to have similar uh, aisles here um, for these levels of respect, different areas of discipline. So let me start with an easy one, respect for parents. Respect for parents. It's amazing how many parents don't settle this in the minds of their kids. Who is in charge? They don't expect or demand from their kids that they respect them. It's, it's sad when you, when you see this. Here's what the Proverbs say about respecting your parents. Proverbs 1, 8, and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So the, the son here is being instructed to listen to because these are graceful things that will be around your parents' neck, um, and it's good for you. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. So there's a, a uh, cause and effect there. If you follow these commandments, there is a long life for you, and it will go well with you, we see in other scriptures. Proverbs 4, 1 through 4. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive, that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. So there's a keeping of commandments that needs to be taught Children need to be taught to keep both the parents' commandments and also the commandments of Scripture. 
Proverbs 5, 1 and 2. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. That whole chapter 5 of Proverbs talks about discretion and, and how to teach that into your kids. And as a part of that, listening to the father. This is about the respect for parents. Parents have wisdom and need to teach it. So it's the parents that need to be respected in this process. Proverbs six twenty to 23. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are a way of life. So these areas that father and and mother are teaching, the parents are teaching, you're supposed to, the kids are supposed to bind them on their heart. You're supposed to respect your parents in following these ways. Proverbs 10.1, the proverb of Solomon, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Okay? We see a consistent uh, pattern here, respecting those parents on what they're telling you, son or daughter. Proverbs twenty three twenty two. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. See the cause, and you see the effect in there. There's still a respect that should always be there. And Proverbs 30, verse 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Well, pound that one into your kids' heads. You know, you kids aren't listening to me. Here's what can happen to you. There should be a raven pluck the eyes out of, your, out of you. But notice what it was that caused that. The eye that mocks a father. You know what that is. That's the rolling of the eyes, parents. Have you ever seen that in your kids? Uh-huh. You know, they're not saying anything. They're obeying you, but you see that look where they roll the eyes. The father's giving instruction, and the son needs to learn to respect his parents. That's a bold verse. It's not a big outward rebellion of slamming a door or saying, I hate you, or a temper tantrum. No, it's a simple rolling of the eyes. It says that I hear you, but I'm doing my own thing here. My heart is not following after what you're saying. This is what the parents is a- are after, is to get that in alignment, to respect them. Respect for parents begins with the parents setting the expectations. Do you, let, do you let your kids hit you or respond to you in an unkind tone? That's a lack of respect for the parents. Do they demand things of you? Mom, get me my lunch or get me my book. That's not the way they should talk to you. It should come with a please and a thank you with every request. If you let them demand you around, they're building disrespect instead of respect. And we just heard what the warnings were for that. And this comes straight out of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God is giving you. And it was reiterated again in Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In the same way, you can teach them by your example whether or not they should be respecting or disrespecting you. There's plenty of scripture to help you uh, place this lesson into the aisle of the warehouse entitled Respect for Parents. So we need to keep that process going of teaching children to respect their parents. The second aisle in this warehouse would be labeled a, a level of respect for age, respect for age. The Bible often refers to this as the gray-headed or gray-haired, and I'm not saying this just because I'm gray-haired. I color it, you know, that's, that's how it gets this color. 
I believe this is quite easy to understand. Proverbs 16, 31 says, Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Proverbs 17, 6, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their father's. Proverbs 20, verse 29, The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. There is something to be said about age and gray hair that has taken some time to learn. So how do you practically teach your children or grandchildren to obey this? It's saying that with age comes respect and usually wisdom. This has to be taught into the children because it is not innate for them to do that. Age does not make us equal. Just because we're on the same planet and we live in the same house doesn't mean that we're all of the same nature. We need to respect those who have more age than us. I've lived much longer than you, therefore you should have a level of respect to me, is what essentially it's saying. Let's add add in, I know it's not Proverbs, but Leviticus 19.32, you shall stand up before the gray-headed and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. How about Job 12.12, wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. This is why you teach your children to hold the door open for an older person who's walking through. This is why kids should be taught to respond to adults who speak to them. Somebody speaks to you, you should give them direct eye contact. You should have a hello and possibly even a handshake. That's why we have that respect because of their age. But most importantly, it honors what God wants us to do by giving honor to others. We had a child who had a difficulty with this by not saying hello to a UPS man. And uh, the UPS man would drive up and we'd say to the child, hey, here comes UPS man, and be holding him in your arm and say, here's the UPS man, say hello. Turn his head, put it into our shoulder and wouldn't say hello. That was a disrespect to do that. Oh, it's just shy, he's just shy. No, it's disrespect is what it was. We had to work on this for weeks and we had to inflict artificial pain to get this child to understand the consequences of not obeying. But that child grew up with a tremendous respect for other people, and especially older people, so that the principle was lived out. They now have that kind of respect for age. We had to teach the biblical principle behind it. We also try to demonstrate this by teaching our kids that when we're speaking with another adult, it was unacceptable for them to come up and verbally interrupt us and demand that their, their needs were to be met. They would stand quietly by our side, wait for a pause in the conversation, and then say, excuse me. That's a very gracious way to say, you know what, I honor that other person you're talking to who is older than me by not interrupting them. I am not more important than them. They are more important at this point. Another item was placed on the shelf of this part of the warehouse by doing that. Marked respect for age. The third aisle in this warehouse is the aisle called respect for authority, respect for authority. They're going to have many authoritative people in their lives, and wisdom says if they respect authority, their life will avoid quite a bit of misery. It's more than just having a bumper sticker saying blue lives matter or something like that. There's a lot to be learned in respect for authority. Think of authority in your child or grandchild's life as parents, teachers, Sunday school teachers, police, pastors, elders. There's lots of authority in our lives. 
In the times of Proverbs, they had kings. Here's a few verses that talk about how we should handle the king. Proverbs 14.35, a servant who deals wisely has the king's favor, but a wrath, but his wrath falls on one who acts shamefully. Righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. Proverbs 22.29, you see a man skillful in his work, he will stand before kings, he will not stand before obscure men. Son, if you go and you speak rightly and, and you have wisdom in what you say, you may eventually talk before a king or somebody of great importance. And it's amazing the opportunities your life and your pattern may bring up for you. For respect for rulers, Proverbs 23.1 says, When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you. Well, that's a great Proverbs. When you're around somebody else, be very cautious of your, what you're doing with yourself and how you're acting, that is a great little nugget to put on the shelf in the warehouse there. Respect for teachers is part of this. Proverbs five twelve to 14. How I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Well, here's a great example of what happens when you don't listen to your teachers. Son, There's a reason for this. Scripture says this. Proverbs 9.9, give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. We have to be cautious that our children are not wise in their own eyes. They think that they are smarter than they are. They think that they're smarter than other people and we have to train that out. No, you need to gain wisdom by the teachings of others. So have respect to your teachers. I have to throw in Romans 13, 1 through through 3. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instructed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval." Right there, Scripture, put it in, and there's a reason for this. God's Word says it. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 14 and 17 says, Be subject to the Lord's, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. There's a cause and effect, and there's a reason for this. Respect for authority entails teaching them that we obey the traffic laws. We obey the sign that says, don't walk on the grass. We're not above these laws that have been put out there or these um, rules. We show up on time. There's a hard one, but that is teaching respect for other people's time here and, and their authority Respect people when we don't agree with them even. That's a part of this. But more importantly, we explain the purpose behind the teaching. We are taught in Scripture to obey authority, and ultimately we are pleasing God when we have respect for authority. There is the chain of command that we're after. All of these little issues are put on the shelves of their mental warehouse to be used at some other time in the future, but we need to put them on there. Teaching them to respect 
uh, time, by respecting authority, by showing up on time, is going to reap wonderful rewards for them when they get a job. Yeah, they show up on time, and they are then going to put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, maybe within their job, there's a cause and effect relationship all throughout Proverbs. If you're always late for work and you've got a problem with work with your boss, everyone's watching you, and there is not a respect for your boss in that, and that's going to start with early on in their life here as they're trained as children. The fourth level of respect or aisle of respect in the warehouse, we're going to call respect for peers, respect for peers. How do your children or grandchildren respect others of the same age? Here's a few Proverbs going to help instruct them, teaching your children how to relate to others. Proverbs 2 just covers it. I, I could read the whole Proverbs, but let me read this one. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted sweet speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. And listen, so you will walk in the way of good and keep the paths of righteousness. This is how you avoid bad company with, your, with other people, is to walk in the paths of good and walk in the paths of righteousness. Proverbs four fourteen to 15. Do not enter into the path of the wicked and do not walk into the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Well, this is teaching that has to be brought into your kids' minds to explain. Son, daughter, I don't think you should be, I don't want you hanging around those people for these reasons. Proverbs thirteen twenty: Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. Man, there's some smart kids. Let's, let's, Hang around them. I see they're respectful. But the companion, companion of fools will suffer harm. And sometimes they may go and do this, and they hang around some kid who is a fool, and they get hurt, and you bring them back to Scripture. You say, see, God's word says this. Proverbs fourteen seven: Stay away from a foolish man, for you will not find knowledge on his lips. Proverbs twenty nineteen: A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man who talks too much. Wow, that's a good one to teach to your kids or even ourselves. You know, if there's somebody who's a gossip and you have a little daughter and she's got this gossip thing going on with other girls in school, that's a perfect verse for that. Well, just stay away from those people. Gossip betrays confidence. Avoid one who talks too much. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Proverbs 28.7, he who keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons disgraces his father. And that gluttony is not just gluttony of food, it's anything. You know, they're gluttonous in the way that they're spending time on their video games. They're wasting their time, they're using it selfishly. And if you want to be a companion of those, son, this is what's going to happen to you. Do you realize that you need to teach your children how to have relationships with their peers? They watch you. And more is caught than taught. What they're seeing you do, they're going to learn a lot more than what you physically tell them. It's imperative, though, that you provide verbal teaching and instruction in wisdom. The Proverbs are made just for these purposes. It's practical, and practically working out in the application of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. These were the instructions that Israelites got right before they went into the land on, on what they were to do. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That was the Shema. 
You shall teach them diligently. Oh, I'm sorry. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is what we need to do with Scripture. It has to be everywhere for our kids that every single action and reaction should come back into Scripture. You see the fact that we need to teach our kids the Word of God at all times? We need to teach them the basics and the intricacies of how to have relationships, and the Proverbs are just a wonderful tool for this. For some of you, maybe you've never put these thoughts into your own warehouse, into your mind, You've never really digested these and made them a part of your life. See if these verses help with providing guidance on on how to respect peers. Proverbs 26, 17, like one who seizes a dog by the ears is a passerby who meddles in a quarrel, not his own. That's a great verse. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so you teach your 15-year-old son, son, let's find some good friends who can help you with the word of God. That's why we're going to Wednesday night Bible study. Proverbs 28, 13, he who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Well, how are they going to confess sin is by having other relationships and people that they can be close to and say, hey, can you help me with this issue I'm dealing with? Proverbs 28, 23, he who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. Have you taught your children how to seek counsel? Proverbs is full of this as well. It falls still under this Isle of respect for peers. Proverbs twelve fifteen. The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs fifteen twenty two. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Man, you give this to a child early and, and teach them they should be doing this. When they get older and you're their friend, where are they going to turn to for counsel? They're going to turn to you. You get that phone call. Hey, Dad, I'm thinking about doing such and such. What are your thoughts? And that's gold, parents, when you're my age. Those are, that's what we're after because now we've taught wisdom and taught them how to seek wisdom. Proverbs eighteen thirteen. he who answers before listening, that is folly and his shame. And I know I got caught on that one with my kids. They want to tell me something and, and no, son, such and such, I saw what it is, you got to do this. And I didn't listen to them. So I was needing that verse. Proverbs nineteen twenty. listen to advice and accept instruction and in the end you will be wise. Proverbs 20, verse 5, the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. There's a great verse. The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. You ask those questions, and you teach your son to do that. Teach your daughter to do that. Ask good questions of people with a purpose of what you're trying to do with it. Proverbs 25, 9, like a bad tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in times of trouble. Are you having trouble with siblings fighting each other? That falls into this category. Take them to these verses. Proverbs 3.29. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Maybe they live in the same bedroom and they're sharing a room. Well, don't plot against your neighbor. That's your sister. Proverbs uh, 11.12. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. Teach your kids to hold their tongue against each other. 
Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live with him at peace. Proverbs 25, 21 and 22, if your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Struggling with tattletelling. How about that one? Try Proverbs 3.30. Do not accuse a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. They're doing something else and you just want to get them in trouble is all. That's not good for you. There's a proverb against that. Proverbs 26.18 and 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. And your kids will do that. I was just kidding about this. But that's what they're doing. Placing these verses in the warehouse of your child's mind will give them something to draw from when relating to peers. These are the foundations of how they'll develop their sexuality, how to treat others of opposite sex, how to have modesty, how to understand purity. That all derives from the lessons that they've learned from God's word here in relation to how they respect their peers. Have they developed at all a proper view of how to handle and how to deal with people who are disabled in some way? And do they have a sensitive nature really to help somebody who can't take care of themselves? Drive that from Scripture. We pounded the verse Philippians 2, 3, and 4 into our kids' brains. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not on his own interests, but also in the interests of others. What a great guiding verse from Scripture to say this is not about you, it's about others. This is how you fill those shelves in the aisle marked respect for peers. The last aisle, respect for property. Do you actively teach your children or grandchildren how to care for what they have and what others have? It's a wonderful trait that's losing popularity in our throwaway culture. Everything's just disposable. Sure, there's a value to teach your kids not to leave their bicycle out in the front lawn overnight or somebody might steal it. But do they care for the property of others as if it was their own? Have they been trained how to handle their assets? Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Teach them to give early on the process. Proverbs 3, 27, 28. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back later. I'll give it to you tomorrow when you have it with you. 28, 27, he who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. Principle, principle, principle. Use Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having a chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man's lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone walls was broken. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man care for what you have, care for others because you don't want to be a burden for somebody else. The idea of this aisle is not so much about the actual property itself, but the preciousness of others and other people's property. Your children should learn to care for their own things so they're able to bless others abundantly. 
This would come into play if they have a habit of slamming doors. Is that caring for property respectfully? If you borrow a neighbor's tool or their lawnmower, is it returned dirty and empty of gas? Or do you wipe it off and make it look clean, fill it up with gas when, when you borrowed it? Your children, your grandchildren are watching this. Oh, why did dad do that? And you take the time to explain it. You need to teach it to them. Explain the reason why behind what you're doing. I'm spending a a few extra minutes cleaning up Mr. Connor's lawnmower because I want to show him I respect his property and that Philippians 2 is real in my life. I want him to see that I'm counting him more important than me because I'm looking out for opportunities to share Jesus with him. If I do this, he's going to see that I care about him and that might open up a door that I can share the gospel. See how it makes sense? There's a purpose that we're trying to teach through this. Don't even get me started about handprints on glass, smudgy fingers rather than using door handles, or treating the church as a sanctuary as a playground instead of a sanctuary. You want to teach the why behind it. Well, Mr. Dahl, every Sunday has to clean off all those fingerprints because you come in and put your hands all over the glass. So let's not do that. We want to respect his time and the work he has to do to do that. So our five levels of respect are respect for parents, age, authority, peers, and property. I have one bonus one, which would be respect for nature. We teach in our parenting class uh, this one. We added in there. It's not readily visible in Proverbs, um, but we see the underlining thoughts here. God created our world in Genesis 1, and because of that, it has inherent value. God said it was very good. So we have a responsibility to take care of nature rather than destroy it. Don't worry, we're not going to start a Save the Squid ministry at Grace Bible Church. That's not where we're going with this. By teaching children the value of God's creation, they're going to see that they're not some genetic mutation that happened by accident. God has intentionality for everything he created. He put us on earth for for reason, and he put nature here, and we are to be stewards of it and care for it. Just yesterday, I saw a... uh, that they found a new species of 4,000-pound sunfish off the coast of Australia. This thing sat for hundreds and hundreds of years, and nobody ever knew it was there. Ah, they just found this. How is it that man could never have known that? Man, our God is so amazing. People just have no idea. If a child is in a forest, and you're taking a walk, and there's an anthill right there, and they go and they stomp out all those ants, that's not respecting authority. Why would they do that? Just because it was fun to watch that? No, you don't teach them not to do that. But if those same ants were in my house, it is all guns blazing. We are taking care of them. This is my authority, my dominion in this house. So I respect nature in its place. Proverb 8 provides a colorful backdrop on why we should respect nature. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, this is talking about wisdom, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths I was brought forth, when there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his commands, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. That's a great verse. Just walk through your kids. This is who God is. 
He has so much knowledge. But listen to verse 32 right after this. And now, O son, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. That's what it's all about. Because of God, who is so mighty, who controls all this, we need to keep his ways, and his ways are in Scripture. You've now married the two together. There's a purpose in what needs to be taught through nature. Blessed are those who keep my ways. You can trust him who created the universe, and he can always be fully trusted. Okay, so now we see these warehouse shelves, and we need to hide God's word in our children's hearts so that they load up these shelves. Let me tie this into how God made our minds work through our conscience. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, with me, please, to Romans chapter 2, verse 15. Romans 2, 15. We want to look at four activities of the conscience and tie them into the warehouse we just loaded. Let me back up to actually to verse 14, Romans 2, 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their consciences also bear witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So the conscience is at work here. Here, The context here, Paul is speaking about Gentiles who don't have an excuse. While the Jews had their Torah, they had their synagogue, they had their priests to give them instruction, yet God says that man has a responsibility within himself to know God because it's written on their conscience. From this, we see these four activities of the conscience. I'm not going to camp on this too long, but it's important to see how God created our minds to work. Our conscience first warns us against sin. It warns us. When we're about to sin, it's our conscience that says something's about to go wrong. Picture it as a computer program, and it has all of these items on the shelf of the warehouse that we just talked about. They've all been loaded with their SKUs into uh, a database. All this inventory is there, and each one has a lot of different words and context that can be searchable. When our minds receive a thought or a visual input, we have like a Google Drive inside of us that does a search. Is there any information back in here related to the issue that's being presented? And it will bring up a warning if there's some action that should occur, okay? You see a red light when you're driving, and the database would bring up Romans 13.1, that we should obey authority that is placed over us. The authority says that a red light on a road means you should stop before that white line out there. Now, if we ignore that red light and keep driving 55 down Gosford, we might either get a bad, bad wreck or else we're going to get a ticket, get pulled over by the police. Our conscience warns us against the sin of disobeying the authority because we had this instruction placed within this aisle or this database, respect for authority, okay? Second activity of the conscience is to prompt us to do right, to prompt us to do right. It sees a situation where action is necessary instead of sitting passively, and our conscience tells us to get up and to do it. This could be everything from having those conversations with grandkids about the goodness of Jesus or sharing the gospel with somebody. There's a pricking that occurs. There's a prompting that says, I need to do the right thing here. The third activity is that it accuses us when we've done wrong. From Romans 2.15, God has wired our brains to watch for times of sin and to accuse us. You just ran that red light. So what do we normally do? Check the rearview mirror and check the side, don't we? That's our conscience saying, I just did something wrong. I should be in trouble. 
God created our consciences to do this, to accuse us when we've done something wrong. The last activity of the conscience is that it excuses me or it confirms me when the right choice is made. We hit the brakes for the red light and we come to a stop before the white line and right sitting there, we look next to us as a police cruiser. Oh man, good thing I didn't run that, okay? But let's take a child who walks into a restaurant with his parents, sits down, then an elderly lady comes in with a walker. The restaurant waiting area is all full. It's crowded. There's no seats left. The child is sitting there playing some video game on his phone, taking up a seat and a half, completely oblivious to what's going on. In the periphery of his mind, he sees the lady come in, and his Google search engine did a, a, a little search there, racing around looking for anything that might require some action. If it was a kid with an iPhone 7 that walked in, he would have noticed that, and he would have stopped what he was doing, but he didn't hear. His search engine came back with no results found. You ever done that with Google? It's kind of hard, but to find something, there's no results found. He kept playing his game. His parents had not taught him Leviticus 19.32. You shall stand up before the gray-headed and honor the face of an old man. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. He had not learned much about respect for age, and thus there were no warnings against sin. There was no prompting to do right. Picture, though, a child who had been trained. He sees the old lady come in, older lady come in. His conscience told him he should get up and give this lady his seat. He now has a choice to either obey or to disobey the word of God that's been put into his heart. Does he put down his phone and his game and let the lady sit, or does he enjoy his creature comforts right there? Suppose the lady stands for a a while, and then all of a sudden she falls. She's been standing for a while, and she falls down. Now his conscience is really accusing him, isn't it? I should have gotten up. I should have given her my seat. His conscience is now really hurt by this. But in the scenario with the kid, the first one who was not trained to give up his seat, he might have not even noticed the lady come in. He might have not even noticed her falling. Or if he did, maybe he took a picture of it and laughed and sent it to a friend. I mean, that's where the conscience has gone these days. Training in these areas of respect is not to make your kid to look good. It's not to make you look good as parents, but rather to obey the word of God and to create doors of opportunity to share the gospel. So the second kid, he sees the lady comes in, he puts down his phone game, he gets up, offers his seat, and then he chats with her about the beautiful day it is outside. And God has made such a beautiful creation, hasn't he? Boom, now you've got a conversation that's going to give a purpose behind it. Which one of these scenarios best represents someone who loves Christ? Which one best represents your own kids or grandchildren? Maybe that's a harder question. I say that because now I'm one of those grandparents, and I'm feeling a heavier and heavier weight, not just to play with my grandchildren, not just to indulge them in having fun, but to intentionally impart biblical wisdom into them, just as you parents should do. This is how we should use Proverbs. Our book, Practicing Proverbs, that we're using has two additional sections in this chapter on family wisdom. I feel I'm cheating you if I don't give you those as well. This is why we urge our parenting class to study regularly proverbs there's just so much in it these two sections are two sides of the discipline coin one is training children and the other side is correction that's the negative side normally when you think of parenting you think of discipline you think of spanking don't you that's what we think of parenting up oh it's discipline 
There are some Proverbs that mention this. It's not the dominant theme. Let me share with you those corrective Proverbs. Proverbs 3.11, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him who, loves, who he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. Proverbs 13.24, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 14.3, by the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Proverbs 19.18, discipline your son for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. That's how far it is if you're not disciplining. 22.15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. 23, verse 13 and 14, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. That's pretty bold. Proverbs 29, 15 and 17, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will delight, give delight to your heart. That's what we're after, delight to our hearts because we have disciplined well. That last verse talks about the rod and reproof. The rod is a corrective side, so there can be reproof, but discipline means to make disciples, doesn't it? This is the training side. Most parents do their discipline out of embarrassment. They bribe, coerce, bargain, and lie just to get out of sticky situations, especially in public with their kids. You've seen it, that nightmare kid in the aisle in Target, in the middle of the floor of the grocery store, flailing his arms and legs, screaming because he can't have the candy he wanted. The parent clearly is not in control and totally embarrassed, so what do they do? They just walk away, and they go to the next aisle, abandon their kid. They're not going to totally, but that's the way they handle it. How much more effective our parenting would be if we would take Deuteronomy 6 to heart and parent or train at all times when we're walking down the street, when we're driving in the car, when we're waiting in the doctor's office. These are the precious moldable times of training our kids. That's what we should be doing is teaching into them. These are times that we input the Proverbs into their life, explaining the cause and effect of sin and righteousness. That's what Proverbs does. This is where Proverbs 22, 6 comes into play. Train up a child the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. There's a few of those nuggets from, from Proverbs. 6.23, for the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are a way of life. We want it to be a way of life with our kids. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Proverbs 13.1, a wise son hears his father's instructions. Make sure your kids are listening. We don't want it just going in one ear and out the other. And part of that is you dads, you moms, you grandparents have to live a life that matches with it. Otherwise, what you're saying, blah, 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 blah. They don't hear it. It just goes in one ear and out the other because what you're doing is not in obedience with it. Proverbs 15, 31, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Teach them that. Proverbs 19, 20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Proverbs have a tremendous amount of practical wisdom for us to live godly, Christ-honoring lives. 
This section on family wisdom also has a wonderful section on marriage and how to strengthen that, but we don't have time to get into that. If you learned something today, if your heart was challenged to apply the Proverbs, why not commit to adding a Proverbs each day to your schedule? Read it. Or if you have a particular struggle right now, take a few hours this afternoon and read through the book of Proverbs just looking at that particular struggle. It's amazing what you'll find Scripture has in there. Husband and wife together, if you're going through something, let's look at this together, honey. What a great way for you dads, you husbands, to lead your spouse into something like this. Write down every verse that addresses it directly or indirectly. I'm positive you're going to walk away with more love for Christ and more awareness of your own sins. With that, let's close in prayer. Lord, your word is good for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And, and the purpose is that we would be wholly acceptable to you. We, we want to, Lord, live lives, live lives that are more and more obedient, showing your love, expressing to you that, uh, that we want to obey you because of what you have done for us. And uh, if, if there's anyone here who has particular issues that they need to work on in their own life that they were pricked on, uh, maybe they as children did not learn them, or maybe as parents they've, they need to input more into their kids' lives. May that be what they walk away here from with so that your name would get glory. This is not about us looking good. It's not about our church receiving accolades because we have kids that are respectful. No, it's about giving you honor and grace and glory. Thank you for this morning, and thank you for everyone who was able to make it here. May uh, the rest of this day be such that we, uh, we look to you as, uh, as the one that we want to please. In your name, amen.